Got the Merle Haggard blues today. I write songs when I feel this way. I grab my guitar and I play. I got the Merle Haggard blues today. Welcome to Paranormal Prowlers Podcast. I'm your host, Tessa Morrow. And the song you just heard is, of course, the one and only, my friend, Bobby Mackey, number one on the new Music Weekly chart, Merle Haggard Blues. So check it out now, folks. Really a great, terrific song. Now, three years ago, I had the pleasure to conduct an overnight investigation at Waverly Hills Sanatorium, located in Louisville, Kentucky. This haunted old tuberculosis hospital has been on my list of places to go to for quite some time. A few months before I investigated Waverly, I had stopped by there while on the way from North Carolina to Colorado. I pulled my car over on the dirt road and there she sat before my eyes. You know, it's neat when you see a location on TV, whether on a TV show, a movie, a documentary, whatever. Then when you get to see it in person, oh God, such a great feeling. The old telly definitely doesn't give these landmarks justice. Waverly was closed and I just stood there taking in the area. It was beautiful. As I look at the building, I hear rustling behind me and I slowly turn around to find a wild turkey crossing the road. Just why did the turkey cross the road, folks? The world may never know. Every time I go through the beautiful state of Kentucky, I always see wild turkeys. My mom has a turkey named Clyde on her ranch. Several years ago, she had gotten two baby turkeys, and she named them Bonnie and Clyde. Bonnie sadly passed away as a little one, and then Clyde just kept growing and growing and growing. And we always thought Clyde was a boy. And suddenly Clyde started laying eggs. So very fascinating creatures nonetheless. And it's really cool seeing them out in the wild. So back to Waverly, a really neat building and the history. Oh, God. So those of you ladies and gents who are into the paranormal like myself will almost certainly know the history behind Waverly Hills. But I really do want to touch down a little about it for those who are unaware of it. And then also talk about my investigation there as well. So throw in some neat things your way in a few minutes. So the land and property that Waverly sits on today was purchased in 1883 by Major Thomas Hayes. This home was for him and his family. So the Hayes, they had children, but hey, unfortunately, there were no schools nearby their locations. So Thomas decided that, hey, I'm going to open up a school myself. So my daughters, along with the other children nearby, can go to school and learn and have fun with each other and interact. So we started a one-room schoolhouse, which is pretty cool. He hired on Lizzie Lee Harris as the teacher, and Lizzie had a really quite a fascination and deep fondness for Walter Scott's Waverly novels. And because of that, she named the schoolhouse Waverly School. Well, Major Hayes liked the name so much that he actually named his own home, his own property, Waverly Hill. He found this to be a really neat, peaceful name. 
And he was not the only one, obviously, to enjoy the name, as the Board of Tuberculosis Hospital kept the name as well. In the early 1900s, the whole area was unfortunately hit hard with an outbreak of TB. Now, there were a ton of cases in Louisville at this time because of all the wetlands connected along the Ohio River. Now, this was sadly a perfect breeding ground for the tuberculosis bacteria. Wanting to try their best to contain this dreadful, fatal disease, a two-story wooden sanatorium was open. Now, this had two open-air pavilions, each housing 20 patients. Well, you know, this was intended for the treatment of early case victims. Well, this simply wasn't enough, and in the beginning of 1911, Louisville began to make preparations to build a more appropriate and more accommodating structure. So the board of tuberculosis hospital was given a good chunk of money to finally create a place where people with advanced cases of pulmonary tuberculosis could go to. So at the end of August, all the patients in the original tuberculosis hospital were relocated to temporary quarters and tents on the grounds of Waverly Hills. Now, due to the explosive amount of TB victims, Waverly expanded in March 1924, opening the new building in October of 1926. But after the introduction to streptotymycin, an antibiotic used to treat several bacteria infections, including the plague, rat bite fever, and of course, tuberculosis. And you know, I'm just going to call it strepto since I'm sure I'm butchering the name. With strepto, available in 1943, the number of tuberculosis cases gradually lowered, so much so that there was no need for such a large hospital. The remaining patients were sent to Hazelwood Sanatorium, also located in Louisville, and in 1961, they closed the doors to Waverly Hills Sanatorium for good. Now, this building served more than just being a sanatorium. After closing in 1961, the following year, it opened its doors again to the public, this time as Woodhaven Geriatric Center. Woodhaven was a nursing home. Many of its patients suffering from dementia and Alzheimer's and other deteriorating diseases. Now, sadly, Woodhaven would severely fail as a nursing home. They were excruciatingly understaffed and way overcrowded. Several reports were filed about neglect, and the state of Kentucky closed it down in 1982. The following year, J. Clifford Todd bought the hospital for a little over $3 million. He wanted to convert the building into a minimum security state prison. Sadly, the plans were dropped when neighbors protested. In 2001, the property was purchased and now can be toured. This is where I come in, folks. So as I stood there that summer day in 2016, and with the wild turkey keeping me company, I make a promise to myself right there and then that next time I come through here, it will be during open hours. And little did I know that a little shy of four months later, I would be in this phenomenally haunted hospital, investigating, dancing with bats, and interacting with some of the resident spirits. Some of my favorite places to investigate are jobs, old hospitals and asylums. So much history is forever linked to these locations. Some is devastating. Some downright terrifying. 
The Summer of Waverly was a fantastic one. I'm not going to lie. I mean, just a couple months earlier, I had been in Arizona where I went to Sedona, where I communicated with the spirit of an unidentified person at the cemetery claiming to have been murdered. I went to Jerome where I got touched by a spirit on the top of my head in Jerome Grand Hotel. Also in Jerome, I got a private tour of a jail where prostitutes would go to spend the occasional evening. And Reckless Rick, and Reckless Rick, who gave me that tour, will be a future guest. And of course, Tombstone and the adventures it had to offer me there. So the summer of 2016 sure was wonderful, and it ended with a very haunted Waverly Hills sanatorium. I couldn't think of a more appropriate way to end the summer. While in Colorado, I met a couple of awesome dudes, David and Vince, and I instantly liked them and we became friends. David is no ordinary fellow, okay? He is linked to the Bell Witch Cave. Now, David Bell told me to stop by while driving through Kentucky and we would investigate the old tuberculosis hospital together. Uh, yes, please sign me up. Places like this book fast. Nights were disappearing like they were going out of style. I managed to grab two spots for David and myself on August 12th. It was an all-nighter, which was awesome, but unfortunately by the time we got there, it was dark. And the photographer in me mildly sulked as I was unable to get some good shots of the buildings and its surroundings. The building and its surroundings. Before I get into the tour, the investigation, and the history of Waverly, I do want to give a bit of advice for those who plan to go there sometime in the future. Book online. The hours you see online are the telephone hours, not the tour hours. Also, after I booked, I got an email of do's and don'ts, things we can bring and not bring, and the list goes on. And I was bummed to see that I couldn't bring any tools. So I sadly and regretfully left them at my friend's house which was about 15 minutes from Waverly. Not too far, but far enough. While there, first I was bummed to see a ton of people. The bigger the crowd, the harder it is to gather evidence, and the more debunking I find myself doing. So anyways, a woman walks up to the front and loudly asks, Who here are paranormal investigators? A sea of hands raise up. So then she asks, Who brought tools? insane amount of hands go up. So I'm kind of confused. I'm sitting in the front and I, I put my hand up and just say, Hey, you know, why did I receive an email saying I can't bring anything? And she said, Oh, that's for the 30 minute tour and the two hour tour. Well, you know, it didn't specify that on the email. So in my head, I screamed, well, I paid for the six hour tour and left hundreds of dollars of equipment at home because I was told to. So folks, if you do the tour and do the long one, please ignore that email, as I wish I had three years ago. So luckily the rebel in me and investigator in me refused to leave behind my go-to tool, the digital recorder. So there's my two cents worth. Take of it what you will. So as the lecture ended, I was relieved to see that the large group was cut down the middle in half. Still a lot of people, but not half as bad, obviously. What the guides at Waverly did for us anyways, and I love this, one group would be on the first three floors and the other would be on the remaining floors. And that's where we would stay for the first half of the night. Then the last half, we'd go on the remaining floors. So for the first like 20 minutes or so, our tour guide 
showed us some spots that have been known to have activity, and she shares some of the history with us and some of the stories and hauntings. Then for the rest of the time, we get to free roam, like on our own, and that is the way to sincerely do it. And honestly, Waverly Hills is so large that even though it was a larger group, we rarely saw another person. And if we did, guess what? We just kind of stopped what we did. We stopped investigating. We would greet them, usually see what they got and, you know, share like half a second of stories, then go off on our own. And it was wonderful. So for the first three hours, we get to explore and investigate the third, fourth and fifth floors of Waverly. So now that you know some of the history, I want to share with you some of the incidents and hauntings that occur here shared to us by our tour guide, Lexi. Well, several years ago, the previous owners had hired security guards to watch over the property. I think this is before they were doing tours or anything, and there was a lot of vandalism going on. And unfortunately, like a few months after I left there, people broke in and tagged some of the place up. And of course, in the news, it said ghost hunters or paranormal investigators break in. And I have to just say that those were obviously assholes. Those were people who don't care and just wanted to mess around with the place. And it's people like that that give people like me who won't step foot on a private property a bad name. So just wanted to throw that out there. So anyways, as I was saying, security guards, okay, from time to time, they would see a man, an elderly man. They didn't know him by name, just by the way he looked. And the owner of the building knew about it. And, you know, they were okay with it because the man wasn't bothering anybody. It was just him and his dog, probably homeless, you know, and not, not hurting anybody. So it becomes a regular occurrence. They see this old man. Well, a certain amount of time goes by and they notice, hey, where's this dude at? Why haven't we seen him? So they start to search for him. Well, after a while, they found him. On the third floor, they looked down the elevator shaft and with the smell, there was no doubt. Okay, he's gone. He's dead. This poor elderly man and his beloved loyal pet dog were brutally murdered and thrown like trash down the elevator shaft. Very sad ending. You know what's even sadder, you may ask or wonder? The murderers, little thugs, were juvenile. So, unfortunately, there was no charges pressed against them, which I find to be completely outrageous. It is speculated that this could have been a gang-related murder or possibly even a ritualistic murder. Our guide, Lexi, a while back, had a guy and his girlfriend on one of her tours, and they experienced something very eerie that she wanted to share with us. The girlfriend was listening to the tour guide talking about the history, while the boyfriend decided to wander off into another room. Well, he said that when he turned the corner back there in the room, he saw a really tall man just kind of standing there. He described him as having long, greasy hair and a long trench coat on. His back was facing him. He said the man turned to look at him uh, over his shoulder. And when he did, the boyfriend said that the tall man did not have any eyes. Besides this man, a dog also has been seen here, a white German shepherd. Is it the old man and his dog? 
who knows? I mean, it could be somebody who died from TB long ago, or it could be the poor murder victim himself from not too long ago. Eventually, we make our way into the operating room. There were two surgery bays, and there were also two windows in the wall. Those were the windows they would use for the x-rays. They would put up the x-ray to see what they were working with when it came to their patients, and they did the surgeries in a last-ditch effort to save the lives of these patients. Now, some of these surgeries are just like quite, some of them are morbid, some of them are fascinating. Now, thorax. This is where they would build in a little cast cabin. They would put the air in and collapse the lung because they thought the rest of the lung would try to heal itself. Believe it or not, it was actually quite successful because TB thrived on oxygen. So when they would collapse that lung, it would deprive that lung of of oxygen supply. Well, while this was decently successful, another surgery they did was about, oh, around 5% or so chance of survival. The removal of the ribs, thoracoplasty. This is a surgical removal of several ribs in order to collapse the lung. On average, the required ribs moved were seven to eight. And most surgeons would only remove two to three ribs at a time, making the patient have to endure numerous excruciatingly painful surgeries. Ugh, I, I just I can't even imagine. The thought behind this was to free up some air so that the lung could expand and make it easier for the patient to breathe. They would make an incision at the base of the neck and go down along the spine and then around the front to the valve. The surgery had a little success rate, as mentioned earlier. I mean, it was very painful and extremely bloody. Doctors had good intentions. They did. But sadly, Waverly Hills saw a ton of death. From where they did the surgeries, there was a recovery room for the rare people who did make it out of this horrific surgery. There's an elevator that opened right outside in the hall, so if you didn't make it out of the operation alive, you take a ride in the elevator down to the first floor. This is where the morgue is located. Then you would go down the death tunnel, also known as the body chute, and we'll talk more about this later on. So anyways, about some of the paranormal activity people have experienced here. The fourth floor is known for shadow people. When it gets dark, the mass grows larger and larger and comes at people like really fast. People who've experienced this encounter share that it's like being sucked into a vacuum, screaming for help and going unheard. The other infamous shadow entity is known as the creeper. Unlike the large mass, creeper is very small and super fast. Eyewitnesses have seen Creeper crawl across the floors, on the ceiling, across the walls, and even through the walls. Pretty creepy. Something out of a scary movie, right? Meanwhile, on the fifth floor, room 502 has a ton going on there. In the mid-1930s, there was a nurse who was found hanging from a light fixture right near 502, and it is thought that she haunts this area. The nurse's story is sort of a sad one. Actually, no, it's really a sad one. She was pregnant. When she was found hanging there, she was no longer carrying a baby. A week after her death, the unborn child was found in the sewer washout system. 
she had contracted tuberculosis, meaning that her baby that she was carrying would also have it. It is believed that she had an affair with a married doctor. And back then, being pregnant and not married, that was just a huge no-no. And having an affair with a married man, oh, God, forget about it. She probably would have been disowned by her family and shunned by her co-workers and friends. So how did this nurse end up hanging by the light fixture? Was it suicide? Perhaps. It's long been speculated that Desperate, she may have tried to miscarry or abort the baby. It is thought that the doctor, the father of the unborn child, helped her with the abortion, which at the time was still a pretty brand spanking new thing. It hadn't been perfected yet. So she dies on the table with a reputation to uphold, not only as a married man, but hey, he's a doctor. He hangs her up, making it look like she took her own life. This is just one of the theories of how she met her untimely and unexpected end. We follow Lexi around a bit more Then my favorite part. Yeah, it's time to free roam, baby. It's time to investigate the third, fourth, and the fifth floor of Waverly Hills Sanatorium. As we all disperse, <laughs> my recorder is on and in my hand it captures an EVP of a man saying, get out while you can. So, more like, get out while you can. This is the first of several EVPs warning us to get out very, very eerie. So, you know, not so much like a threat, like, like, hit the bricks, sweetheart, or you'll be swimming with the fishes. No, 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 no. It was more like, hey, get out. Like, literally get out. Do not let what happened to me happen to you. Get out while you still can't. Don't die here. Don't let this be the end of you. So while I was capturing the recording, my friend David was in an area not too far away and bore witness to a child's green ball moving on its own. Not just a small little nudge or an inch here or there. It was literally going in circles. Several people saw this, not just David. So David and I, we find ourselves alone and start to investigate the area currently free from other people. Graffiti is tagged all over the walls on the opposite side are the sun patios. And it is here that the patients spent most of their time, day or night, summer or winter, snow, sun, or rain, my friends. I think it was like no less than 13 hours a day. So my friend would take off several times without saying a peep and I would find myself alone. At one such time, he calls out to me, telling me, hey, come quick. I feel something around me. He feels this presence, and he knows he's not alone. And I know that feeling. And I'm sure if you're an investigator, you know that feeling too. Or even if you're not an investigator, hell. So what happens next is pretty phenomenal. My recorder catches an unexplained sound, what I describe as the sounds of an air ventilator like forceful breathing with the help of a machine. As this occurs, an EVP is caught of a man saying, it's me. Amazing. Is this man verifying that what David is feeling is him, his energy? So a quick reminder, my tools were all left at David's house. Nothing but my recorder, no spirit box, where we could hear the responses immediately. 
it took me several days, if not a week or two, to hear all the results afterwards because I was traveling. You know, there were times where if we heard people and saw people, we would debunk them. All of these EVPs I'm mentioning went unheard by ourselves at that time while we were going live. So David is up ahead a little, but I see him. So I start heading his way. My recorder catches rapid sounds of movement. I suddenly feel really weird and run a short distance to get out of the area. I catch up to David and tell him, oh God, you know how creepy it sounded like something was chasing me. And an EVP is recorded of a man saying, gonna get you, gonna get you. Obviously, I couldn't hear this man. So oblivious to this man and his eerie EVP, I continue talking to David and I say, God, I, I thought someone was behind me, David. I heard footsteps coming up real quick behind me and I just looked and no one was there. Well, guess what? The same man is recorded again saying, oh, yes, I was. Gonna get you. And oh, yes, I was. I ask if there's anyone here who needs to share anything with me. And another warning go home. At one point, I share with David that, hey, I feel my hair moving on its own, like unseen hands playing around with it. David says that he too is being touched by spirits. And an EVP is recorded saying, coward. David leaves again, and I tell the spirits, hey, I'm alone. Come speak to me. And I introduce myself and ask for their names. Yet another EVP, a man, saying, come on. I hear a man whisper this in my ear. My recorder also catches it. Being sensitive, this happens to me from time to time. I always say that I hear it, documenting it, and then moving on. I mean, it's really neat. I can't tell you how many times this has happened. Weird enough, it's always men. Never a woman, but always a man. Still alone, I suddenly feel very uneasy, which doesn't happen very often at an investigation. I had recently dealt with my attachment, but was still struggling from the after effects. I still found myself having respiratory issues, uh, which to this day I still have, when suddenly I felt an all-familiar presence, my friend Michael, who passed away a couple years earlier. I feel better and I continue on. One of the incidents that freaked me out that night was more supernatural than paranormal. David excitedly calls me over to a room that he's in. I find him stationed at a window. Mind you, many of the windows are just frames now with no glass anymore, including the one that he was standing at. So he tells me, hey, turn off that flashlight. I'm seeing the craziest shit that I've ever seen. This is coming from a man who is a firefighter and comes from a family line of witches and who himself is a witch. So I'm immediately intrigued, curious, and interested. What has got David's attention, you know? So David points to the sky where just a short distance away from us is two distinct hovering lights. He describes to me what he sees. He says, they were moving towards each other. Now they just stopped and are just sitting there. It moved up, it moved down. Now they're just hovering there. So both of us stand there silently, gazes fixed on the unexplained activity in the sky, perplexed, and inside I'm scared. I admit it. I investigate the paranormal. 
I get an adrenaline rush at times doing it. I love it. It doesn't scare me. Ghosts, spirits, wraiths, whatever you want to call it, that doesn't scare me. What does scare me is fucking aliens and UFO type shit. No, thank you. So it's obvious that they aren't stars. They're not planes, not helicopters. They're not birds, not anything you would see in the sky or what you're used to seeing in the skies, at least. So as we stand there speechless, they start to fade. As this happens, one of them starts to move up a little while the other sways back and forth. A light appears under one of them, then a beak. And I think to myself, as this is taking place, holy shit, I'm going to flip out if I see a cow or something come up into that beak. It was beyond one of the most bizarre things that I've ever encountered. And that's with several years of investigating the paranormal, the unknown. A bat whizzes by us and we get out of the zone and still a bit spooked. We walk away from the unidentified flying objects the night sky threw our way. So I just want to go off topic real quick for a second. Fast forward, like maybe it was the next summer. I'm hanging out with my sister, Casey. We're watching some true crime show or whatever And then all of a sudden, um, this paranormal show comes on and I don't remember what it's called, but it shares people's encounters and stuff. And these two pilots out of Louisville, Kentucky start to talk about an incident that they had that they encountered these two light sources in the sky and it started chasing them and how it was so terrifying. Well, as they were describing these two things and what they were doing, like hovering there and swaying back and forth and then the beak, I got chills. I'm like, holy shit, that's what I saw. That's what I experienced. But this was like 30 years earlier that they saw this. And it just blew my mind. I just, to this day, I still can't explain it. Ghosts, awesome. Aliens and UFOs uh, scare Tessa really badly. So... Anyways, our time investigating the third, fourth, and fifth floors have come to an end. We encountered several spirits and bats. We got some pretty wonderful evidence on the count that both of us were touched. We saw UFOs. We got several EVPs from spirits, mainly Mel. And at one point, David unknowingly had a full-on conversation with a spirit during an EVP session and much, much more. As we get ready for the second half of our investigation, my recorder captures an EVP from a woman saying, do not go in there. And it was like, do not go in there. So you have to remember for the people who don't investigate the paranormal, I could talk my ass off. I talk a lot and I could say several words in just a few seconds. And when it comes to the spirits, it takes a lot of energy for them to speak. You know, this was a longer EVP and it was so close as if she was whispering it right into the recorder, right into my ears. Mind you, we were not too far from the morgue. Now the special EVP is followed by wheezing. And I just want to note that some of the symptoms of pulmonary tuberculosis are chest pains, difficulty in breathing, and 
squeezing. The first floor is where the death tunnel is. So I take note as even though I'm dealing with respiratory issues, there's no way in hell that I'm coming to Waverly Hills and not going down the body chute. You know what I mean? So Lexi warns us that, you know, those who go down there, the farther you wander down, the wetter and the more slick it will become. She shares with us that there was a steam plant at the bottom of the tunnel and that they would actually use the steam to heat up the building. At the height of the spreading of tuberculosis in the 1930s, the body count was sadly rising. One of the medical doctors came up with the idea to find a discreet way to get the dying patients out without the other patients seeing all the death around them. You know, they would sit there and, you know, hey, they're going to be sitting in there in these rooms, have the same disease as these people who are dying. They're going to suddenly see all the action, the ambulances, the hearses, and so on. Well, that's going to, you know, their morale is going to go down. They're going to lose hope of getting better and ultimately lose their will to survive, to live. They already had the tunnel. They used the tunnel for the workers to get from the parking lot to the hospital, the 500 feet up, especially convenient during the colder months. They had a cart system that they would use to haul up food, medical items, and so on, pulling it up and down 500 feet. Now the cart was used for bodies. It was on a set of rails that was run by cables and pulled by a small motor. Family could arrange to pick up their loved ones, but much of the time they were so terrified and rightfully so that they would contract the deadly disease that the bodies usually went unclaimed. So the unclaimed found themselves en route to the University of Louisville Medical Department where they would be studied. And when the students were finished with the bodies, they'd be brought back to Waverly and ultimately buried in mass graves. So many people were dying that they just couldn't keep up, you know, putting the putting them in the cart through the death tunnel. You could only put so many bodies in the cart. So they actually had a room to store the bodies that awaited the body shoot. Once somebody opened the door thinking that it was the loading dock. And when they opened it, they saw the bodies lined up wall to wall. Tuberculosis is like cancer. A bully takes over your body, destroying different parts and functions, and ultimately your life. Some of the patients would get tuberculosis of the brain, and one of the treatments was electroshock therapy. So we walk into the room where this form of treatment was performed, and it was eerie. So we walk into the room where this form of treatment was performed and it was eerie, you know, just knowing what went on there and the doctor would be standing there watching the patient. The other side would be where the panel was located that held the light bulbs that would light up when they were administering treatments or what some people would think torture. While Lexi talks about the electroshock room, I receive an EVP on my recorder of a man saying, I was here. People have been touched in this room or just have a very weird feeling. And many have been successful with capturing EVPs as I hit two of those where I felt weird and I got EVPs. 
So the morgue is another active location. They have a camera in there and they have witnessed seeing strange and unexplained light anomalies come out of the elevator and sort of just kind of like hover around. Later on, I spent time there and went in the body riding tray. Now, now people at Waverly, they had it bad. Not because of Waverly itself, don't get me wrong, but because they were dying. The, the old tuberculosis hospital did their best to make the patients comfortable and happy. The first floor had a pharmacy, a gift shop, a barber shop, and even a radio station. Yes, they actually had their own radio station that would broadcast at the hospital, sharing about things that would be going on, like special activities and just different things like that. The patients were allowed to plug in headphones out on the porch, on the sun porches, so they could tune in to hear about the daily activities and what have you. That's pretty neat when you think about it. This was probably something that they really looked forward to doing, something special. Around the sun porches, people have been successful when it comes to the spirit box, photographic evidence, and so on. Lexi talks about a resident spirit that stays in this area named Tim. She warns us that he is not friendly. He's been responsible for making people feel uncomfortable. He calls people names. He also likes to growl. Unexplained red and white firefly-like lights have also been seen in the area. Very, very active location. 100%. As we walk from one area to another, something funny happens. I hiccup. And me, being the debunker, I speak into my recorder saying I hiccuped. Seconds later, a man says, hiccup, go away. Go. Go right now. Very cool EVP. And yet, uh, again, a very long EVP. So it takes a while to get all that. Now, across from the open porches that were outside are some of the patient's rooms. Depending on the size, either two or four patients would be in one room. One neat thing I learned at Waverly, they invented electric blankets to be used in tuberculosis hospitals. This was the sole reason why they were invented. We walk into a room, and this room is special because we actually know who stayed there. Amazingly enough, one of the family members of this woman was here taking a tour at Waverly, and she shared how she would walk down the breezeway and into this room to visit her Aunt Louise as she was a child. Louise was sick for eight years. Excruciating to even think. She spent six of the eight years of being sick at Waverly. Unfortunately, she did not beat her battle with TB and died in Waverly Hills. She was not alone, though. Her dear sister, who also had tuberculosis, stayed in the same room as her. Well, her sister, believe it or not, beat tuberculosis not once, but twice. She beat it for the first time in its ugly little face and got to go home. Louise, however, well, her condition worsened. So she came back to Waverly Hills to stay with her sister. Doing so, she contracted the disease again, and by golly, she beat it again. In fact, she lived to a ripe old age into her 90s. Let's see. You know, we were there in 2016, and she died just a few months prior to that. 
I love that she beat it twice and lived to see almost 100. The story has always just kind of stuck with me. It's so sad that her sister Louise died. The only part of the story I don't like, obviously. What's interesting is, is that Louise is still here. Her spirit. She loves talking to people. Some think that perhaps she's there waiting for her sister or looking for her sister. Her voice, this is really neat. Her voice has come through Spirit Box and into digital recorders. Investigators from all over the world have caught her voice while investigating Waverly Hills. She loves gifts. So people actually will leave her little trinkets and gifts in her closet and what have you. She loves visitors, and it's a very popular spot. And unfortunately, just goes to show how large Waverly Hills is, we couldn't find that room again. We saw it during the tour, and I full-heartedly expected, okay, I'm going to go back, and I'm going to investigate the shit out of this room, try to chill and hang out and communicate with Louise, and it just didn't happen. So couldn't find it. Next time I go, Louise, girl, I'm going to find you. We're going to chat going to visit you, bring you a present. So anyways, as we disperse for the last time that night or now morning, as it is close to probably around three-ish in the morning, my recorder catches yet another warning saying, careful, careful. David and I are alone once again and start making our way slowly to the death tunnel, the body chute the place where every single dead body went through. I mean, we're talking thousands of bodies here, folks. As we walk, all that is recorded are our footsteps as we're walking in silence. In a few short minutes, we get a plethora of EVPs, hand-wrapped gifts from the deceased. These EVPs are close as if walking with David and I. One woman cries out, Please help. Another EVP, a whisper, get the fuck out. Again, not aggressive, not threatening or harassing or menacing, but more like a warning, like, get out of here. Another man says, take care. While another voice says, kill. The latter in a guttural voice, kill. At the time we were here, they were doing a bit of a renovation. And I even asked, hey, you know, I asked the spirits, are you guys liking the remodeling? And a child responded saying, hate it. While on the way to the tunnel, we stop at the electroshock therapy room and I check out an old antique wheelchair and instantly get chills running up and down my back. The feeling that something or someone is with us comes on strongly. And my recorder, almost verifying, captures unexplained forced breathing. David and I are now in the tunnel. Death tunnel, mind you. David is a fit firefighter and whose pace is way faster than mine, walks down rather quickly. And he's been to Waverly Hills several times. And this was my first time. So I was kind of, you know, me and my respiratory issued ass takes it slower, enjoying every second. With David... Far below, I am on my own, alone in the tunnel, taking in the dark, damp atmosphere. As I walk, my recorder captures more EVPs, more warnings. Get out of here. 
A few seconds later, the same voice, a man, says, Get out! Get out! I finally make my way down to the bottom where David is waiting for me, and as we start making our way slowly back up, my recorder catches another warning EVP, this time from a woman. Get out! Due to the attachment at Tombstone, my body and immune system are way weaker than usual, unfortunately. I truly can't wait to go back to Waverly, this time stronger and healthier. As we walk away, our investigation ending soon. As if to say goodbye, one of the resident bats flies past us, so closely, mind you, that I can feel the air move with the flap of its wings. I don't know what that was, the sound of the wing. (gasps) (laughs) My recorder also captured the incident, just saying. And as David and I leave, heading back to his home, we remain silent. Here, we just investigated one of the most actively haunted locations in the country, uh, a place with thousands of deaths linked to it, a sanatorium where people died just about every day, all the energy still being held and contained at the walls. And I break the silence and say something like, dude, and I look at David as he's driving and he stays silent. And I'm like, dude, like, I don't even care. Like if we, if we wrecked right now and died or got hurt, I wouldn't care. Just, I wouldn't care. David's quiet for a second and he looks at me really quickly as he's driving and he says, I feel the same way I have since we left Waverly. You know, I'm not the happiest person in the world. I've dealt with depression here and there, but I've never felt that way before. And I I just can't speak for David, but it's crazy that we left this place of death after spending seven hours there. And we left feeling utterly down, like, who cares, you know, like, oh man, whatever. And these places, they can have an effect on you. The feeling went away soon afterward for both of us. Was it a slight attachment? Possession? Did a spirit catch a ride home with us? Did the desperation and despair surrounding us for several hours to the point where we too felt that what these people felt? Or was it just a long night and we were pooped out? Ah, who knows? Waverly sure had an effect on both of us. And I can't wait to go back to one of the top five active locations I've been to. I really hope you enjoyed this episode about the history and some of my investigation into the mysterious walls of Waverly Hills Sanatorium. If you want to read more about that, you can. I have my book out, Paranormal Prowlers, I'm Always With You. Hit me up for a signed copy, of course, with the handmade bookmark. Word for word detail into that investigation. Did you enjoy tonight's episode? Check out the other episodes, too. They're equally awesome. Subscribe on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, CastBox, and basically anywhere you find podcasts. See you next week, my friends. Thank you.